0: everybody welcome back to the high fidelity podcast i'm your host Hai trung and today we have a very special episode because for the first time though i am still recording in my kitchen i am joined by my very lovely brother whom i love and respect and the reason for that is that uh, this penultimate episode of our season talks about how for the longest time i thought that tony robbins ruined my life and our family's life because he turned my dad into something and someone Uh, that was very catastrophic in our lives but as I've learned over the past uh, 20 some odd almost 30 years now that life is much more complex than that and that he alone was not the catalyst that transformed this person there's a lot of other factors and ultimately we're all human so to provide a more nuanced and fuller picture of what all this looked like uh, my brother has volunteered to come onto the show today to talk from his perspective and so before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, my name is Huang Trong, and I'm glad to be here on this podcast. Um, pretty much, I'm here to, to kind of like dispel all the mysteries and all the questions that we had growing up. And I hope this conversation kind of shed some light on the complexities of the person that was our father.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm really getting interested in uh, talking about that. But before we get into talking about dad, you know, our relationship as brothers is one that has really evolved over the years. I mean, growing up, mom had to work a lot of the time and dad kind of left the picture when we were pretty young. And so for a long time, my standard of masculinity, my standard of what it was to be cool for all of the latest and greatest stuff was really based off of you. It's based on what you and your friends did. It's based on, um, you know, the things I got exposed to when I was kind of hanging out with you and your buddies. And so for you, what was it like kind of being the, the older brother in a household where, you know, dad was not in a in the picture for a while?
1: Um, pretty difficult because, honestly, I was lost myself. I had no idea what it was like to be a man. had no idea... <laughs> How to do the stuff that like you would expect your father to kind of teach you how to do like tie a tie, ride a bike. I mean, I didn't learn how to ride a bike until I was like 12 or 13. Um, And that was through somebody, you know, loaning me their bike and pushing me off of it. Um, It was, you know, it was a challenge. Um, I had, thankfully, a lot of friends and uh, my friend's dads who kind of helped fill the gap um, this is before the internet was kind of like the, the father to most kids these days, where you can go and look up stuff on Wikipedia or whatever. Mm. Um, my best friend's dad back then, um, he's the one who taught me how to tie a tie uh, during my, my junior high graduation. Um, and then, you know, throughout the years, just kind of learn all those things. And trying to be a role model for, for you was kind of difficult because, like, I wasn't even quite sure what I was doing myself. Um, I had friends who kind of set up a template for me to kind of follow but at the same time like it never felt like my own you know and that didn't come to many years later until like my my mid to late 20s
0: i appreciate you sharing that because i i certainly did not know and i didn't have a language for it either i think we were all trying to figure out what we were supposed to be and how we were supposed to be it uh, and what the proper way was And, you know, I didn't have a vocabulary to come to you and say, hey, um, I'm getting bullied by these kids because I'm being treated as different, even though I look like them. What the hell am I supposed to do? And so I looked to the different friendships that you had and the ways that you got along with folks. And honestly, some of the ways that I emulated you and your friends, along with what I emulated of the kids around me, even though I did get bullied a ton, um, it kind of helped me survive my childhood, you know. Um, had I not had some of these things, like I remember when, uh, you know, the EDM scene was very nascent, mm-hmm. and the parachute pants were real big, and the shoes with the bubble in them and the whole thing, uh, you were learning how to do the uh, the lights with the figure eights and mm-hmm. all that stuff, um, and so I emulated that, and for sixth grade, at least for like a month, I was like kind of cool, because I was like the first dude that was doing it, because all the other kids... is uh, older siblings were already doing that stuff and going to the parties. Mm-hmm. I wasn't saying that I was going to the party, but I could at least do the things that people were doing at these parties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And so tell me a little bit about you know what was it like navigating the 20s and 30s because a lot of what I've talked about in the podcast so far kind of have these little nuggets of what I did mistakes I made, um, whether grandiose or small. Um, what were some of these lessons that you learned in your 20s? Oof, that would take a long time. I mean, <laughs> just just like, small steps. I know. Yeah. Um, much
1: like you, I had my own journey to kind of figure out throughout time. Um, just to kind of keep things short. Um, I also kind of struggled to find out my own personal identity, who I was, what I wanted to be. Um, I had a group of friends, and hey, you know, during that time, I loved them to death. But I never felt like it was a fit based on like our interests and like our values and what we wanted for ourselves. And it took me many years. It wasn't until like my late thirties when I kind of had this awakening moment. Like at that time I was working full time, felt like I was going through dead end job to dead end job. And I kind of woke up and said like, you know what, I'm sick and tired of this. I'm going to go back to college. I'm going to get the job I want. I want to do all these things I want to do. And during that time, I also realized that I needed to surround myself with people, to kind of inspire and lead the way for me in a sense. And uh, thankfully, those things kind of fell into place. You know, like when I decided to go back to school, I met some awesome friends—not um, at school, but like you know, it's kind of like a side correlation, I guess. Um, but these people, you know, had the kind of values and and things that I wanted, and they kind of inspired me to become better push myself to be better and you know that journey of self-improvement just kind of like spoke to the kind of person I wanted to be grew more confident in the kind of person and ideals that I wanted to kind of set out and I was for the first time in my life I wasn't afraid to say no to things that I didn't want to do and be more courageous in pursuing the things I wanted And I think that's kind of helped shape the person who I was and who I want to be as a role model to not just like to you or whoever, but to like anyone who is seeking kind of help, you know.
0: I think that's a great point. You know, for me, as soon as I got into college, I originally went to college wanting to be an English teacher. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I wanted to do that was I had a father figure of a English teacher, kind of like Robin Williams in the Dead Poet Society. You want to stand up <clears> on a table and say, yo, Captain, my captain, I wanted to learn how to break dance and start a club in school because that was an outlet for me uh, to build up my self esteem. That guy, along with my band teacher, was kind of like a replacement for dad for a long time. I mean, I'm in school for a long time. If I'm not at school, I'm, you know, working at in and out And if I'm not working at in and out I'm at home kind of watching grandma and just doing doing the teenager thing. And, you know, the, the things that I ended up doing into my early 20s and even into my mid to late 20s myself was really just an amalgam and a carryover of a lot of those types of behaviors. And what I didn't learn until I also hit my 30s was that some of these things don't carry on forever or sometimes they have to evolve and change. And more often than not, it's kind of an uncomfortable process when you kind of go through the equivalent of a breakup with your mm-hmm. friends. And sometimes, since I, until I, you know, had my relationship with the girlfriend that I've been dating for a long time now, before that I had very little dating experience. And so going through those types of breakups were equally as painful and difficult for me. And it was really devastating to not have, you know, these guys in my life who I had run a company together with, tried all these other harebrained schemes with, mainly because I had, uh, kind of replaced a lot of the people that I didn't talk to for a long time with just these guys that I talked to, live with, and saw on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And so when we part ways, it really f- kind of feels, it sounds kind of dramatic to say, but it really did feel like your heart's breaking and you're losing a limb. And you kind of have to learn how to live life again from a different standpoint. Mm-hmm. So for you to go through that uh, later in life, going back to school and all of that, you know, it's good for me to know that uh, I'm not the only one. And that it's, it's kind of a thing that you go through, through the rest of your life. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Definitely. I mean, you're always
1: going to... Like, if you're the kind of person who wants to grow and learn, like, you're always going to be constantly changing and evolving. And sometimes that also means your relationships will also change and evolve. Um, who you are today is definitely not who you were 10, 15 years ago. And I definitely am not that person anymore.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, so moving on, now getting into the, the meat of today's episode. You know, for me, it I have this fractured relationship with Tony Robbins and the other people that are like him. Uh, mainly because outside of Dad and the whole Tony Robbins thing, I found myself repeating history by being part of a pyramid scheme myself when I was 18 or 19. And I already talked about that in another episode. But instead of Tony Robbins, they were saying, you know, to listen to Zig Ziglar and Jim Rohn and all of that. And empirically, there's nothing empirically wrong with the way that these guys talk. It's just when used for evil, they, they could take you down this kind of uh, pipeline. But to kind of talk with you as my brother about the way I saw it was that I recall dad trying a lot of harebrained business schemes that often didn't work. Or maybe they worked for a little while and then they failed dramatically. And that he couldn't handle the failure very well. And so that manifested into you know taking it out on us or taking it out on our mom or uh, borrowing money from all these CD characters that he had kind of met along the way through his time uh, frequenting casinos and whatnot and uh, it it just left a really negative taste in my mouth whenever i thought about tony robbins because i remember this and correct me if i'm wrong but i remember this series of books on tape <laughs> i think it was five or six different volumes of books on tape And I just recall dad listening to them all the time. I remember when I was helping mom move from one uh, place to the next, I found this little sheet of paper and it had all of dad's aliases that he had uh, developed over the times. I think largely because all of that ended up getting attached to mom anyway for Mm -hmm. credit purposes. And I think five or six of his surnames uh, actually were different, uh, permutations of a Tony Robbins type name. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what's your thought on that? Am I right on that? What's your, what's your perspective on all of that? Um, it's kind of difficult to say because like it, like
1: I obviously being a bit older than you, like I was exposed to that a lot earlier on than than you were. And I have like more, I guess, vivid memories of how that all came to be, um, you know this yeah you know, i'm trying to try to keep the story concise but essentially like what happened with dad was dad was the kind of person who wanted greatness for himself um, as far as i can remember that's that's all he ever talked about was how one day he was going to be a great man and i didn't know what that meant until much later but essentially he he always felt like people always looked down on him he wanted to get respect and i don't know it's just like in the movies he wanted to be a made man right um, <clears throat> didn't want to work for anybody wanted like all the success for himself and what happened was like one day when he was at home he saw an infomercial and it was for tony robbins for his you know powerful 12 day or whatever like step program some kind of mastery personal thing. power right <laughs> Personal power. It was like all these collection of tapes. Right. Um, And he convinced mom to buy it. And every single day, uh, in the house, in the car, uh, everywhere that we were, he would have this tape on constantly. Like I remember as a kid in our Cadillac and growing up, this tape would be running day in, day out. Um, And he would do these journal logs and everything. And mom, being the loving wife, wanted to support him on this. And he took these things and, and he just kept talking about it. And he even like forced me and mom into these programs as well. No oh, shit. Yeah. I had no he, idea. As a kid, like he, he would constantly like, you know, make me write these like Google journals and hmm. stuff like that. And it's cr- crazy for a kid who was in the third or fourth grade time <laughs> to, to Achieve have to do these Personal things. business. Yeah. Messy. Like I have no <laughs> idea like what it, what it was. Right. And, um, you know, it was just like, like I said, it was this goal of his to, that inspired him to keep doing all these things. And as far as like all his harebrained schemes and all that, I think it just kind of fell because like, it was, so personal power, if anything, gave him the confidence to believe in himself. But dad is a very impatient guy. And he was constantly looking for shortcuts, you know, um, you know, over, over time, at least, through my personal experience and maybe through yours even that there's no shortcut for hard work right like even even the greatest minds still had to work hard to get to where they're they're at but dad wanted to kind of always skip that step you know um his goal was to kind of launch a business as fast as possible and just you know get to the to the meat of things but you know that that's what led to the casinos and all these other things like honestly he was a brilliant guy at horse racing you know like he taught me a lot of things that he knew and you know funny enough just recently I was able to to show that to my friends how that worked and you know and and he was good at it except for his ego and his ego is what got him in trouble he would make bets that he would shouldn't make or he was just being irresponsible with his money right like he would just do it out of sheer arrogance like he would make like a five or ten thousand dollar bet and of course, if he lost that bet, then he would like have the ego to just get out more to try to get it back. And that's what got him always into trouble. Um, and this is what happened to a lot of his businesses that he, he launched, right? Like he would make a moderate amount of success and he would go to the track to try to like double down and hmm. it would get him into trouble. And that's that's why he would wind up having to either close the businesses or try to borrow money from people to, to keep it afloat. You know the financial aspect was always a struggle for him and it always frustrated him and whenever he was backed into a corner that's when a lot of the family drama came out of you know the fights with mom because like she, he would get angry at her for not covering his failure you know um he'd get snappy with me or you because like he was just irritated that things weren't going well you know and he was just that kind of guy um and it was very hard to understand this mentality until many years later, when when I had the opportunity to live with him. And of course, that, that came with its own
0: personal cost. Right. Yeah, that was not an easy experience for you at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not quite sure if you want to kind of go
1: into that yet, or if you want to...
0: Well, yeah, let's unpack a little bit of what you're talking about with, with everything up to that because you know some of that i didn't know Mm -hmm. because in my mind i saw this weird vision of a guy who obviously knew how to get people on his side right and i think between the both Mm -hmm. of us we have that element as well right and we also get some of that from mom you know she's had for someone that's been doing nails and had to change locations multiple times over the past 30 years she still got clientele 30 years later that's pretty impressive but on the dad side of things, he has this sense of making you feel excitement and wonder and just saying, fuck it. You want my life savings? Here it is. You want my whatever it is, even though it once you get past the excitement of it, there's no real security or structure set in place. The guy just gets you there. But then I also remember him as being this kind of savage brute, right? This guy that just couldn't control his temper, and I was terrified. I was terrified for you, I was terrified for me, I was terrified for mom, and uh, that that really fucked with me. And it, it really made it uh, uncomfortable trying to reconcile what I was supposed to be as a man when the earliest memory of a strong male figure was really as a, in my mind at the time, I saw as a tyrant. And it wasn't until I got older that I recognized, and I actually spent about a, three or four months when I was in college, going through therapy, and then eventually visiting different family members on both sides of the family to try to unpack how the hell did mom and dad even get together, and how much of the stories that we heard growing up matched to what other people know. And you know what the most disappointing thing was, is that you know I talked to dad's older brother, I talked to relatives in Florida, I talked to a relative in San Francisco, and nobody had the same story. And that was so disappointing to me because I couldn't match anything up. Is that Everybody had a different version of what that life looked like. And it's taken me until now to be willing to just accept that sometimes that's the only truth you have access to. Mm-hmm. There's what I lived through and saw, what you lived through and saw, and what mom lived through and saw, and then what dad <coughs> saw. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, there, there, maybe there isn't going to be an absolute uh, truth that I'm going to find. And so for him, for me to go through a lot of the, and do a lot of the things that he did, I was always terrified that there was going to be some kind of switch that just immediately turns on. And then I just turn into him, right? If I was in a relationship, I was going to start cheating. If I lost my temper, I would actually hit somebody. If I uh, made a bad financial decision, then, you know, I'd be bankrupt in like six months or I'd end up owing money to some seedy people. And then you and mom wouldn't hear from me again because I didn't manage it right. Um, and so for me to, to hear now that, you know, he was a guy that had these flashes of brilliance, but honestly wanted to take a shortcut that kind of explains a lot, right? And between you and me, I don't think we've done a whole lot of that because we've had to learn the hard way that, uh, unless you choose to run away and change your name, you have to deal with the consequences of taking those shortcuts. Mm-hmm. You have to deal with the consequences of hurting people and, uh, taking things from them and not committing to your promises. So, I mean, having, you you can talk about uh, the, the time that you live with that if you feel comfortable with it. And if not, you can kind of just give us the broad strokes of, you know, how did the time living with him shape your experience through the rest of your 20s? Because I've always wondered that, you mm-hmm. know, because when he came back, we had we had changed so much, even though it had been two years.
1: Um, yeah, I, it's not, it's not a secret that I, I've ever held or anything. I mean, I prefer not to talk about it a lot of times because totally I don't fun. feel like it's a necessary story, but it's something that, that I think I don't mind sharing at all. Um, yeah. so to kind of give some context uh, about how this opportunity came to be, um, I was 19 or 20 at the time. I can't remember, but I do remember it was before my early twenties. Yeah. Um, yeah. Mom and I had a falling out. Uh, We had disagreed about how I should live my life at the time. Um, You know, there was this expectation where, you know, at that time I was helping support the family and everything. We're all struggling, right? Right. Um, And at the time, Mom wasn't quite sure how to support me wanting to go back to school because I felt like I couldn't succeed in school unless I concentrated on full time. Right. But she needed me to work too. Right. And at the time... I just didn't feel like I had it in me to do both. Sure. So we had this argument um, ongoing for several months. And it wasn't until one day Dad and her were talking. I don't know how that conversation came to be. I'm but, not sure either. But one day, like, it came out of the blue. And Mom came up to me and said, maybe you should consider talking to your father. And I was like, why? Yeah. At that time, um, we've, we had a pretty difficult relationship that he left when I was 12 um, or so somewhere around that age um, and you know he came tried to reach out a couple times that time I was working a part-time job at Taco Bell and he actually came in and talked to me and said why are you working this job and I didn't appreciate his tone and you know kind of dismissed him right and it wasn't until after high school I was still kind of struggling working different retail jobs and everything and he would find me and talk to me I said I don't want him to see you and then I don't know where, you know, during this this weird, challenging time between me and mom, like she suggested I talk to him, and I didn't know what to do with my life. And it's it's a trope that you hear all the time in stories about sons and their fathers, right? Right. Um, yeah. and I didn't know how to feel, I didn't know what to do, and I felt maybe I should give him a chance, right? So one day I reached out to him and we agreed to meet, to go to dinner, and we were talking. And it was just kind of like a preliminary chat and all that, but he seemed different. Um, up until that point, dad was this, like you said before, tyrant, angry guy that we were all scared and resentful towards. But during that time, he seemed happy and he had a new wife, new family, right? We had all these step-siblings that, we were, that that I didn't know existed. He had a house. And he looked like he was the successful man he always wanted to be. And that shocked me because I was like, how's this even possible? You know, here's this guy I thought was a bastard all my life. Right. All yeah. of a sudden comes back as a made man. Right. Yeah, that was a trip. And uh, it it confused me because I didn't know how to feel. Right. Um, and during that night, the only reason why I even considered giving him a chance is because he sat there and said, like, you know, I have all the success. And he told me this directly to my face. I have all this success but I can't even share it with my own kids. You know, and that, that definitely triggered something in me. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, you know, oh, he is trying, right? So I came back home and uh, had a conversation with my mom and told her that I did reach out to dad and, it our really should have got even more difficult because it felt like this whole contradiction when she started getting angry at me saying, Why did you reach out to him? It's like you mm-hmm. told me to. Right. Like, he told me to reach out to Dad. And then from that point on, like me and her, we just couldn't talk. Right. And then one day, essentially, she just told me to get out.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Like it boiled down to, you know, several conversations and she just told me to get out. And of course being that age, young, confused, not sure what to do, I just left right Right. and I reached out to dad and he says yeah come live with me right he had had a brand new house that he just bought and you know fast forward a little bit I came and lived with him and I saw that he had amassed like you know pretty decent life for himself but things weren't exactly what they seemed to be uh yeah so that theme comes back right that theme comes back um a lot of the things that we didn't know, this is during the time of the, the housing crisis, the recession that was yeah. right around the corner. And he had built up a decent business, but the problem was, you know, just like I said before, dad was very poor making financial decisions. Right. Um, so he had a good business that brought in a lot of money, but his arrogance um, through gambling and everything mismanaged his money. So, so he kept on doing that. He kept on doing things. So you know, I I started uncovering things like he had a bookie that he would spend ten grand a week, like doing. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, oh no, no, this is this this. I know what I'm doing. You know, it's always a lock. It's always a lock with so, him. Um, he'd go to the track and bet ridiculous amounts of money. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you know, and he's like, no, 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 it's fine. I'll just make more next week or whatever. And it started making me nervous and. I wasn't quite sure what was happening, right? Um, And, of course, the recession came. Business went down, you know. And he had all these opportunities to kind of, like, turn things around or weather it through, but he just kept making one bad decision after another. Right. Uh, And next thing I know, within the span of a year and a half, living with him, um, we lost everything. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. The house is gone, uh, all these other things. And during that time... um, dad launched one of his crazy ideas was like we can't stay in california we need to go somewhere else we need to start over and i didn't know what to do because i was embarrassed to to come back to mom to admit that she was right in a sense even though for me to go to her was kind of her idea right yeah that
0: that shit's complicated right it's
1: it's kind of a weird confusing mess so so, and you know also being that young prideful age like i didn't want to admit i was wrong right? right so i was like I guess I'm, I'm just going to go all in on this. And we wind up um, through a series of moves and eventually wind up in Dallas, Texas. Hmm. And uh, it was the most miserable eight, nine months of my life. Um, didn't know anybody, didn't know anything what was going on, trying to figure out, trying to relaunch dad's business in a whole new place that we where we had nothing. Right. And it was the biggest challenge. And I even had to go back to working retail in order to, to make enough money for us just to, to pay rent. Where are you working? It's uh, uh, now known as GameStop. Back then it was electronics boutique. So you started in Texas? Hmm? Over there? Uh, no, that was my second time working for GameStop. Oh. Yeah, first time was in high school. Second Got it. time was afterwards. and Picked up a small job just to try to pay the bills. Got it. Um, Didn't do so well because, you know, Texas, you know, it's during the middle of a recession, right? Right. And it's in the middle of nowhere in Texas. I mean, we're in Dallas, but Dallas is a huge place. And how many people went to that mall?
0: Right.
1: So, like, yeah, there was a struggle, challenge, and then eventually, you know, we burned through a lot of things. Dad started getting desperate because we weren't making enough money, Mm -hmm. and then he started using my credit because... His credit was bad. He had several bankruptcies on his rap sheet. Um, And I naively signed away my own identity. And next thing I know, I was, you know, 30 grand in debt and uh, owed the IRS a good $15,000 after everything was said and done. You know, I won't get into too many details about how that all happened, but essentially, you know, I let dad kind of take free reign on the thing, trusting him to to rebuild this business because like, hey, he did it before, right? Right. And I was one of those guys that you were saying that he was able to talk into. Um, It's because he was very good at kind of appealing to your sense of adventure, I guess. Right. He, He was really good at selling the vision, right? Um, and he was a great salesman, but the problem was like, he just didn't know how to have a plan that was sustainable. Right. It was always a challenge for him. But yeah, so after all that challenge, of course, like, you know, I, I couldn't handle it anymore and I came home and, you know, I think the first time you saw me, I came back as a very embarrassed, um kind of broken kind of guy because I wasn't sure how the hell I was going to recover from this. Right, you know, um, You're in your early 20s, right? Haven't really started your life yet and then you're in a debt that most people don't get into like their 40s or 50s even. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Um, but somehow, like, you know, kind of work through that. But overall, like, you know, that, that time with dad was very difficult because, like I said, um, he was a very complex guy. Uh, couldn't help but want to believe in his dream right like he was very good at, at selling you that um, but his he just did never had like a solid plan and I think learning from that the, the takeaways I had during that time was essentially that you know you have to kind of think things through accept consequences along the way and it was just like a very challenging thing to learn but I mean Asked me today, you know, do I regret it? A little bit. But at the same time, it kinda like fast tracked me to being the person I am today. You know, to learn from those mistakes and take those life lessons to heart.
0: Well, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I haven't heard the the fuller version of what that life looked like for you until today, really. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not easy. And I know it's not just within our own family, but within our culture. This is just shit you don't talk about, right? So many And for a lot of folks they can't even access that conversation because there's a language barrier Mm -hmm. right we have to assimilate as quickly as possible and then along the way you don't realize how much you may be losing by forfeiting not keeping up with even a little bit of your mother tongue and so to hear you go through that it's it's quite fascinating because i i had a sense that that was what you were going through at least you, you were coming back through a very tumultuous time. But by the time I saw you again, I was still in middle school, mm-hmm. right? And so my perception at that time was so small. My world was so small. The only thing I had going for me was for that for the very first time ever, I had friends. And I was holding on to that shit for dear life. And I was a little bit selfish because I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And how to balance you coming back and navigating your life and trying to get back on your feet and not having a language to understand what exactly that took um, because we weren't able to talk about that stuff at the time because who the hell would be Mm -hmm. able to talk about that shit when you're just going through it. Um, And then, you know, so going back to that time and then even when I got through high school and then you were adjusting and trying to reacclimate to your life, I think that, you know, observing you go through that really shaped my perception of of dad even more. You know, my hate and my anger toward him doubled down even more so. And I recall when I got through almost the end of high school, I actually asked you, and I realize now that that must have been a very uncomfortable thing for you to do. I actually asked you to broker a conversation for me to sit down and talk to dad. And to explain to you why I wanted to do that back then was, I felt that I had gotten through high school, I was on my way to, I hadn't even started applying to college yet, but I felt like I I was confident enough to to face that demon, and I wanted to do it. And there was no rhyme or reason beyond that. And so I did. He set that up, and then dad picks me up from my friend's house miraculously he's driving a super expensive car Mm -hmm. it was either like a top of the line infinity or like a mercedes or something we go to this restaurant in westminster and the minute we sit down i start cracking into him saying why this why that and i was not ready for it you know i thought oh i'm i'm bigger now he can't hit me he can't do this stuff uh so i can handle it no i couldn't right he his his body looked different right i think all of the smoking and just just the poor health habits finally start catching up to him. He's probably in his probably mid to late 40s, mm-hmm. early 50s at this point. His body's kind of slouched. He's got this weird posture thing going on. He's kind of wringing his shoulder. And he immediately starts screaming at me. Mm-hmm. And I start crying. I just start <clears throat> fucking, just tears falling down my face. And I asked him about why why did he do what he did to our family? Why did he do what he did to mom? Um, and why did he do what he did to you? And immediately he clapped back and said, you have no idea what I've been through. Um, how dare you you know, ask me those things? Those are things that happen between adults. You're still a child. You have no right. And long story short, he shared with me a very small anecdote about saying when he was growing up with Benoit, and for those that don't speak Vietnamese, that's our grandmother on our dad's side, she uh, essentially favored other children other than dad and that he was always kind of an outsider. Like his older brother was a star child. His sister was you know more favored than him. His half siblings were more favored than him. And he was kind of like a, a rough guy uh, who had to figure it out on his own in Vietnam. And that's why he was who he was. And, you know, he was saying that I'm, he was very unapologetic about it, but you, that was the reasoning. That's as far as we got. And then afterward, he dropped me off, and I was still kind of adjusting and trying to process everything that happened that day. And then, I don't know why the hell I did this, but there was like some award ceremony for school. I got this small little $100 scholarship, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to uh, invite him. Because, honestly, even though this guy was a tormentor and an abuser and all of these things that I was scared of, even though I had these surrogate father figures, I still wanted a dad, right? I wanted some, I wanted this guy to validate me. I I don't know why I wanted it, but I did. And so I invited him, and it was like a week after that dinner. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. It's across the street from my high school. He doesn't show up. Eventually he calls me and said he skipped town. And, uh, you know, that was the last time I ever saw or spoke to him again. And, you know, looking back on how our relationship has kind of grown combusted and kind of evolved over the years i kind of understand that you know we were both broken in different ways and at different times and we went through not the same experiences but similar in the sense that they left us very damaged without a clear roadmap of what to do next because these are not things that you can go to your friends about and say hey what do i do more often than not your friends haven't been through it Mm -hmm. Um, and how could they understand it if they grew up with both parents a house and just a normal upbringing which we would help most people get access to so i'm kind of curious you know now that we've actually talked about dad we've talked about our our shared kind of hardships contextualized around him how did you start even listening to this podcast and what made you feel comfortable enough to talk about this today
1: um well i mean you did share with me that you were making a podcast so of course as your brother i wanted to be supportive of it and um you know the first time i listened to it was on spotify uh and it wasn't until i realized that you finally i don't know you did at first or later on you did but rss feed finally came up on my podcast
0: yeah
1: and i just subscribed and listening to your stories and everything um It kind of, you know, brought back some memories on on how I felt about during those times, because like, you know, obviously I was there for a lot of it. Right. Um, But for me personally, I felt comfortable sharing these stories because I feel like, you know, people always want to listen to someone that they feel like they can relate to. And if this story, I'm pretty sure, like, maybe this story is unique to our situation, but I don't think it's a unique situation overall. Like right. I'm pretty sure some other people face their own challenges with their own fathers or mothers or whatever. Sure. And any any kind of help, I feel like it's always a good thing, right? To to kind of share and hopefully inspire somebody that it's okay to to kind of experience these challenges and that there is a way out. Um, you know, kind of you know, after that whole thing about your, about, you were saying about dad, about him leaving and everything, I also kind of cut the cord with him after that, um, and I haven't spoken to him for 10 years now, but like I said before, like, you know, it's that trope about sons and their fathers, (laughs) um, but, you know, it's, 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 it's never going to be an easy thing for, for us to, to kind of describe and to kind of let people know, like, it's okay and that, you know, for you to feel what you feel and that it's going to be okay um, as long as you're, like, you're willing to to keep moving forward. Um, But yeah, I mean, as far as the podcast and everything goes, I mean, this this is my first time speaking like this. um, And, you know, I I think I kind of wanted to help share and expand that story that you've been telling um, the narrative over time. And just to, like I said, to help people kind of see that there is, there is more than what your situation is.
0: Well, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I have a lot of love and respect for you to be willing to kind of stretch yourself and share an experience that for a long time is something that you've kept to yourself for good reason. And this is something that I'm scared and nervous about every time I turn this on and I put it out in the world. Uh, for all the folks that listen, I, I appreciate you. And I think you would agree, I think my brother did a a fantastic job for the first time being on a platform like this. And I just want to echo that for all the folks that grow up with challenges and difficulties with their parents, um, no matter how severe it is, you are not defined by your parent, right? We may carry their DNA, we may carry the memories and the experiences we share with them, but just because we were abused does not mean that we are going to abuse. Just because we have someone that took shortcuts and was uh, unwilling to face the consequences of the decisions does not mean that that's how we orient ourselves in our lives. In fact, it serves as not only a cautionary tale, but something that's baked into our experience because of what we live through. That those are values and uh, pillars that we will not compromise. And that means that it may take us a little bit longer to progress, but you know, from From the vantage point of your younger brother, I can only see that your future is very bright and that there's a lot of people that love and care and respect about you, not only in your professional life but in your personal life because you are uniquely who you are and you've begun to accept all the different sides of that without running away from it. And, you know, that's something I'm still trying to figure out on the earlier spectrum of the 30s. But um, I'm very thankful for it and, you know, I'm glad that we can put this out in the world and see if people can resonate with it. Um, Any final words that you have to share with folks?
1: I guess it's just to reiterate that, you know, no matter what challenges that you face, no matter what you see, that there's always a positive side of things and just don't lose sight of it. But
0: outside of that, like, you know,
1: just never
0: feel like you're alone. Fantastic. Well, thank you again to my brother for joining me on this Sunday in my kitchen recording for the first time with an actual human guest. And uh, thank you again to my buddy Jai for providing us the tunes for this show. Uh, If you'd like to hear and learn more about this episode, you can visit us on highfidelitypodcast.com. And of course, if you feel so compelled and join my cousin and probably one of my friends, uh, write a review or just leave some kind of thought, uh, whether you live in a one or five star life, I'm I'm open either way. Thank you so much everybody for tuning in to the High Fidelity Podcast.